Good morning and welcome to Backchat with uh, Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning on Backchat, the topic is Australian politics and international relations. Uh, that's after Anthony Albanese led the Labour Party to its first election victory in more than a decade. We have a lineup of uh, three guests uh, this morning. Um, I think we're still trying to contact uh, one or two of them, but uh, we have on the line uh, Stephanie Evanett, who's a chief executive of the Australian Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. Um, good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. Thanks morning, for joining Adam. us. Uh, uh, thank you. So, um, yeah, obviously Australia now has a, a centre-left uh, Prime Minister. Um, I guess uh, questions are going to be asked about uh, what is that likely to mean for economic policy and um, what does it mean for uh, businesses uh, operating overseas, uh, in, in particular here in Hong Kong? Jim, you know, Ofscham is a business association and we welcome a positive business agenda from government. And for international business and our members, we're focused on four things. The free trade agreement, we really don't want to see renegotiations on those already in place. The transparent foreign investment framework. For Hong Kong in particular, a double tax agreement between Hong Kong and Australia. And measures that build Australia-China business engagement and Asia capability. Um, uh, f f forgive me on this. What's the position at the moment with the tax arrangement between Australia and Hong Kong? Unlike Singapore, Hong Kong does not have a double tax agreement with Australia, which mm. would otherwise give Australians working in Hong Kong some added protection against becoming an Australian tax resident where they're also tax residents in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And in the absence of that DTA, changes to Australia's tax laws can increase the tax burden on Australians overseas and Australian businesses operating at home that seek to employ Mm -hmm. so, and do, do you foresee any change in, um, uh, let's say, Australian and uh, Chinese uh, rela relationships? Well, we saw this morning reports of the call to Anthony Albanese from uh, Chinese Premier Li Keqiang, and uh, I would say that's a significant and symbolic gesture. Yeah. And on foreign policy, especially with China, Austin hopes to see a reset to improve relations. Mr Albanese signalled little significant change in foreign policy, but we anticipate a more measured rhetoric when it comes to China, and that improved relationship diplomatically will give business a firmer foundation to plan and invest. Okay, good. Uh, uh, stay with us for a while. Uh, we've also we also have uh, with us uh, on the line uh, Kanishka uh, Jayasuria, who's a professor of politics and international studies at uh, Murdoch University in Australia, and uh, James uh, Lawrenson, who's director of the Australia China Re uh, Relations Institute, uh, ACRI for short, at the University of Technology, Sydney. Um, good morning to you both. Uh, uh, perhaps uh, Professor uh, Jayasuria first. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hello. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Yes. So, um, just uh, looking at the change of government in Australia. So, Al Anthony Albanese is saying it, uh, he wants to change the way that politics operates in Australia. I mean, it's uh, uh, notoriously uh, uh, pugilistic, if you like, Australian politics. Yeah. So, what 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 sort of differences do you think that, that uh, we might see going forward? Well, I think the the, the couple. A couple of interesting things that are happening already. One, I think, is symbolic. I mean, it's interesting at the press conference uh, that he had after being thrown in that the Aboriginal flag and the Torres Strait Islander flag was there. 
uh, alongside the Australian flag, of course. Um, and I think it, it is a sort of symbolic, a very symbolic act of uh, recognition of uh, the First Nations people and his statement on the Uluru uh, Accord um, um, that, you know, which is to enshrine in the Constitution uh, was the Parliament of the Aboriginal um, of Indigenous uh, Australians. Um, so I think that, you know, that, that's indicative, I think, of a, a kind of a symbolic shift to be more inclusive of uh, groups that uh, that felt they were marginalised or even demonised under the previous uh, under the previous Liberal National government. Uh, more substantially, I think the, it's quite clear that he'll have to navigate after the election uh, um, a number of independents who've been elected on climate change issues, and the Greens Party, which has done extremely well, especially in Queensland. So. I think there's been a there's been a kind of a sea change in the composition of the parliament and the kind of issues that uh, they're interested in, especially on climate change. But also, I think, in uh, um, Mr. Albanese ran on that, and Labour Party ran on that on issues of uh, issues on things like childcare and um, on women's uh, gender-related issues, you know, domestic violence. Uh, so I think there's going to be a change in all of those areas, uh, and it's already apparent um, that this is going to be high on their legislative priorities. Yeah. Um, what, what does it tell us when uh, when you see that uh, urban Australia, such as Sydney and uh, Melbourne, um, a lot of the seats uh, were, were won by independents uh, instead of um, uh, people yes. with the political parties? Yeah, well, I, I think that, that, that's right, but it's not just the fact that they were on those seats. I mean, those seats, the remarkable thing about the, 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 the win for those independents was that they were in very blue ribbon, uh, conservative, previously conservative seats. You know, to, just to give one example, which is kind of, uh, which is, which is kind of really emblematic of these changes. It's Kuyong, which is held by, uh, the treasurer seat seat in Melbourne. Now this seat was the seat of Robert Menzies, you know, the founder of the Liberal Party. It was held by Andrew Peacock after that, who went on to lead the Liberal Party. Um, so it's been, in a sense, the seat that has produced uh, very senior members of the Liberal Party in the in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, you know, where um, uh, which is you know the very affluent suburbs of Melbourne. Now this seat has gone to an independent. Um, she's a doctor, she's a, a, a female pediatrician, neurosurgeon, and I think the, the really interesting thing, and this happened in Sydney as well, around some of the key seats in, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, is that the, the heartland of the, the Liberal Party, the Conservative Party, has effectively been lost. I mean, this, this was kind of the bedrock of the, the, the Liberal Party in, in Australia, uh, in Sydney, Melbourne, and even in my own uh, own city of Perth, um, the, the a key blue ribbon, as, as they say, a blue ribbon, the blue ribbon say, conservative seat, has been lost to an independent. And I and I think the real significance of this is the kind of a structural realignment of these suburbs in the, of these waters from affluent areas now shifting towards a more independent, if you like, a more liberal uh, centrist stand than the more right-wing stand that's been said, more right-wing position that's been taken by the Liberal Party 
over the last uh, over the last uh, decade and a half. Okay, let's bring in uh, James Lawrence. So I think that structural realignment yeah. is really significant in this election. Mm. Okay, uh, James Lawrence, good morning to you. James Lawrenson, uh, director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology, uh, Sydney. Yeah, there will be a great deal of interest in this part of the world and what this uh, election, what, what um, Anthony Albanese's uh, election victory and for the Labour Party will mean for uh, Australia-China relations, which, of course, are uh, uh, very important on many different levels, uh, China being Australia's biggest uh, trading partner and so on. Um, um, how do you think, see things uh, developing? Yeah, thanks, Jim. I, I think um, let's keep our expectations in check, for starters. Um, so I would not imagine there's going to be a reset in the bilateral Australia-China relationship, if what we mean by that is going back to 2015. Um, the world's changed too much since then. Um, China and Australia certainly have. But what I do think the Albanese government allows is an improved trajectory in the Australia-China relationship. Now, that is no small thing. I mean, let's be clear of one fact here, that the Australia-China relationship, there's, there's no other country in the region, even other US allies, that have an official relationship with China in as poor a state as Australia's has been. Now, I think, um, you know, I think we're going to see the return of diplomacy to the centre stage in the management of the China relationship. And I think that factor alone um, you know, is significant. Um, there's plenty of people who are keen to say that, well, there'll be no major switches in policy. I agree with that. Uh, but I think that misses the fact that um, diplomacy has been missing in action over the last few years and having its return um, is not insignificant. Mm -hmm. and, and then the, the new Foreign Minister, Penny Wong, uh, she, she herself has a, a, a Chinese-Malaysian background. Um, is that going to be significant, do you think? Oh, look, I think it's more significant domestically. Frankly, it's wonderful mm. that uh, finally Australia's multicultural reality in mm. the domestic uh, population is being, um, you know, showcased on an international stage. But more importantly in foreign policy terms is that Penny Wong has spent the last couple of years emphasising that she wants to put diplomacy back to centre stage in managing the China relationship. I mean, just think back to March. Um, you'll remember that uh, plane crash tragedy in southern China. Mm -hmm. um, uh, within hours of that happening, the Indian Prime Minister, Canadian Prime Minister, UK Prime Minister all came out with statements of condolences. The Australian Prime Minister and the Australian Foreign Minister said nothing, but Penny Wong issued a statement of condolences from opposition. So I think that's typical of, the, uh, of what we can expect going forward. Another thing Penny Wong has said is that she uh, intends to engage with the region, particularly Southeast Asia, on its own terms and take their insights um, into account. Uh, in particular, she's expressed admiration for the Singaporean Prime Minister, Lee Hsien Long. And, of course, his line is that China's a reality. It's not going to go away. You won't always agree with it, uh, but you do have to manage that relationship as a partnership that you are actually looking to move forward rather than an adversary that you're trying to counter. So, so you don't think she'll be uh, like a hardliner um, as before? No, certainly not. So the, the strident, hysterical rhetoric um, that we came to see, uh, particularly, well, from the Prime Minister as well, but particularly from the Defence Minister, Peter Dutton, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, you may have heard that he described a Chinese naval vessel hundreds of kilometres off the Australian coast as an act of aggression. 
I mean, that's just utterly ridiculous when, of course, everyone knows that Australia and the US and plenty of other US allies run naval vessels um, hard up against the Chinese coastline, and we see that say that's consistent with international law. So Penny Wong is not going to be coming out with any of those sorts of ridiculous statements. And also, she, importantly, she's going to take control of the foreign affairs portfolio. That was a big problem before. Uh, the Foreign Minister, Maurice Payne, allowed people like Peter Dutton to come in from the sideline and start running commentary on the China relationship. Um, if there's hard words that need to be said about China, it'll be Penny Wong that's saying them. Mm. Now, a big part of the uh, election campaign was the need uh, to tackle climate change. Um, uh, let's, let's ask uh, uh, Professor uh, Jayasuria this one. Um, do you think there's a, a m much scope for cooperation between Australia and uh, China and indeed uh, uh, other countries in the region on that issue of ch climate change? Yes, I think that that's going to be very much to, to the fore in uh, the foreign policy of this new government. And I, and I agree with what James is saying. I think um, I, I don't actually think there'll be very significant substantive policy changes, you know, because as, as James said, the world changed and it's not going to go back to um, 2015. But I think what, what we might see is um, uh, emphasis on... Um, looking at issues that Australia can deal with China on and, and climate change, um, I think it, it's a key issue, but not just with China. I mean, it, it's interesting that the first video that uh, Foreign Minister Wong released, um, soon after she was uh, uh, she was thrown in, in fact, and just before she left for Tokyo, was to the Pacific Islands. And she emphasised the importance of climate change um, in as a as a um, area of potential cooperation between Australia and the Pacific Islands, and I think this is going to be a key theme that's going to emerge in in in, the, in Australian foreign policy. So, in areas like climate change, um, uh, possibly other areas like you know uh, 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 health, where Australia can work with China, I think you'll see some movement towards uh, towards trying to get some some kind of diplomacy with, with China on these issues. Um, so, you know, and I think that's going to be, you know, I, I suspect that's going to be a quite a significant feature of um, the foreign policy of this new, new Labour government. Mm. Okay. And what does it mean for businesses uh, uh, between, let's say, um, the Hong Kong SAR and mainland China and also Australia on, at the other end? Uh, well, I think, you know, at, at, at the moment, the, the trade relationship is in some kind of freeze. So actually, you, you wouldn't know it when you look at the, when you actually look at some of the numbers. Um, I live in a state in Western Australia where I know has what to recently been booming, you know, the, um, so that, you know, in a sense, the trade in China has been, has been going on. Um, but I think that, you know, there are also, um, there's an emphasis, for example, on getting more skills, getting more skilled migrants, and that's going to come into the mix, I think, in, in terms of its relationship with China. Um, th there's some emphasis on putting manufacturing back in, getting, you know, sort of more localised manufacturing. I'm a bit sceptical of some of these uh, initiatives, but again, I think there's this potential there for... Uh, for, uh, for, for cooperation with business, not just in China and Hong Kong, but 
across the region. Mm. So, Stephanie Evanett, uh, you're here in Hong Kong with the Australian Chamber of Commerce. Um, what uh, do you think now are the prospects for the uh, the business uh, environment? Uh, and what, what, how, how are your members feeling about the change of government? Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we welcome positive business agenda from government, and I think there um, are some measures that we um, embrace and others that um, we have concerns about. The free trade agreements are one area where Labor has suggested they will seek to renegotiate some agreements that have already been closed, and we would not mm. like to see that yeah. um, that happen. Um, foreign investment, we talked about climate change, you know, designed sensibly the policies that should drive further investment and innovation across those industries also provide an opportunity for collaboration um, and investment uh, in from international business into that critical space. Yeah, uh, any, anything specific to uh, to Hong Kong, to the Hong Kong situation? In terms of the Hong Kong business environment? Yeah, yes, yes. And, well, and, look, and, mm. the, the Hong Kong's facing a number of challenges with the ongoing COVID-19 restrictions, and that's really front of mind, particularly in the short to medium term for our members. Yeah. We support measures that enable Hong Kong to be open for business as soon as possible, and the continued uncertainty really breeds insecurity and a lack of confidence. We've written on several occasions to the um, Chief Executive Carrie Lam and senior officials, including um, incoming Chief Executive Mr Lee, about these issues and really stressing the need for the urgent action to remove those travel restrictions, scrap the flight ban and remove compulsory quarantine. And we'll be sharing our views with Mr Lee in his new capacity and urging his actions to ensure that Hong Kong can retain its status as an international financial centre mm. and its role as a global business hub. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, when, when those restrictions yeah. are lifted, you do see a, a better prospect uh, under the Labour government, do you? Well, I don't think the Labour government's going to have so much of an impact on what Hong Kong's decisions are about its uh, travel restrictions and flight bans and, and compulsory quarantine, which are really top of mind for our members. And as I said, we support measures that enable Hong Kong to open to international business as soon as possible. So, James Lawrenson, obviously uh, Australia uh, had a pretty hard time during the COVID pandemic. Uh, travel between states for a time even uh, uh, not allowed. Um, what's the situation like now? Is there things more or less back to normal? Uh, more or less, uh, Jim, yes. Uh, the population's moving around freely from mm. state to state. Um, and look, the unemployment figure is, is the best it's been in about four decades. It's, it's under 4% now. Um, so the domestic economy is strong. Now, partly that's because, as you say, we're opening up after COVID. Uh, but I also think we should mention um, that Australia's trade during the period has held up exceptionally well. I mean, it's one of the big ironies of the Australia-China political fallout over the last few years is that the impact on trade at an aggregate level um, hasn't been much at all. In fact, two-way trade at the end of last year was at a record high. Now, I don't want to, you know, dismiss the fact that in certain industries, wine, barley, coal and so on, um, they have suffered disruption, so we hope to get those back online soon. Um, but there's been no catastrophe for the Australian economy um, from the political tensions between Australia and China over the last few years. Yes. Um, what about immigration policy? Will things change uh, under the Labor government? 
Yeah, look, I haven't heard a lot of detail from the Labor Party on where it tends to head on immigration. Um, certainly there has been some statements from the Foreign Minister Penny Wong signalling um, that we'll, we will be open to more um, immigration or at least um, temporary work visas um, for the populations of the, of the Pacific Island countries. So I think that's highly likely. Uh, where we go more broadly, I think it's too early to say. OK, sorry to interrupt. Uh, a quick announcement here from our transport department. It says uh, due to an equipment fault on a train near Admiralty Station, the total t journey time on the East Rail line between Admiralty and uh, Shangshui Station could be extended by 10 to 15 minutes. Longer waiting times on the East Rail line platforms can be expected. Please allow more time for travel. Um, just on the new uh, Prime Minister himself, uh, Mr Albanese, so he's, uh, he's 59, he was brought up uh, by uh, a single mother. Um, what, about, um, what about his background, uh, Professor Jayasuria? Um, is, is he like a, a, an unusual figure um, to become the Australian Prime Minister? Liberals now they suffered a big defeat. Uh, what do you think will happen to the Liberal Party? Well, I, I think this is, this is the real, really interesting thing that as in Australia, as in other parts of the world, you know, um, there's a you know it's, it's often left uh, um, 
uh, on, on Analyze, I think, there's a crisis of centre-right parties. Um, you know, they're being hollowed out by, you know, in, in Europe by far-right parties or populist uh, radical right parties. But in Australia, it's, it's kind of uh, uh, being hollowed out by the right-wing, um, right-wing elements within the Liberal Party. And a lot of the structural changes that we saw in terms of this realignment of those, you know, the say, liberal conservative seats falling to these independents is uh, it's an artifact of, of that shift, very significant shift in the Liberal Party. Um, and, you know, they've lost key seats in uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane uh, and Perth in the urban areas, in Adelaide. Uh, they've been pushed into to, to regional areas and, and they're uh, all just... Uh, a bunch of seats in, in, in some of the other suburbs of Melbourne and Sydney. Um, so I, I think there are very significant political challenges for the Liberal Party in terms of its positioning um, in, 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 in the political sphere. Um, you know, it's likely that they'll elect Peter Dutton as the next leader of the, the, the opposition, and he's very much a member of the right. He's very much, you know, he was he was central in, in trying to use the, the anti-China rhetoric as part of domestic politics. Um, so, so I think the, the Liberal Party has very substantial challenges, and those challenges are really about the uh, it's, uh, really about the party losing its base. And and I've got to also say that, that in, a, in a sense, both parties one of the one of the, the, the interesting things about this election result is that both parties. Um, had a very low share of the primary vote. You know, Australia has what, what you call a preferential system. You know, so um, the Labour Party, because they were able to draw the preferences of other parties, in, in the end got up over 50%. But the actual primary vote of the two parties themselves uh, fell quite substantially. You know, they're, they're around just over 30%. And I think this, this again, prefigures, I think, quite a substantial change in the nature of politics in Australia. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, interesting discussion. We'll have to bring it to, to a close, I'm afraid, because we're almost out of time. It's nearly 9.30. Uh, that was Professor Kanishka Jayasuria, who you heard there, who's a professor of politics and international studies at uh, Murdoch University in Perth. And thanks also to uh, James Lawrenson, a director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology, Sydney. And thanks very much to Stephanie Evanett uh, here in Hong Kong, the chief executive of the Australian Chamber of Commerce here. Um, just before we do go, uh, just a, a few emails uh, quickly from uh, listeners on other topics that we were, we've been uh, talking about in the past few days. Uh, uh, Johnny says that it was disheartening to hear that Hong Kong uh, is abandoned by the global cruise operators uh, due to our strict rules over this COVID period. If we're not careful, Hong Kong as an air cargo centre may also be lost to our regional cities. We cannot let our competitive advantage be chipped away one by one. I hope the new government will re-examine and address our global competitiveness soonest. Um, uh, Guy writes in an email that the government should subsidise food and energy. Sorry, he's quoting uh, the IMF boss uh, of the International Monetary Fund. Uh, and uh, uh, there's a link there to a BBC story. And then he says, then Guy says, uh, the Hong Kong government has been subsidising electricity and water for decades. Perhaps they should consider gas and basic foodstuffs as well, with maybe a vehicle fuel price cap. 
And uh, Vic writes, uh, Dear Backchat, we've achieved uh, Patriots ruling Hong Kong. John Lee 